0: Isaac Watts, the writer of the hymn, the carol, that we're going to talk about tonight. He was born July 17, 1674 at Southampton in England. He was the eldest of nine children, big family. Isaac followed his father's strong biblical faith. He was very intelligent. As a child, he loved to read. He loved books. He learned to read early and had this interesting propensity to just rhyme. Maybe he was kind of an early rapper. I don't know. He was a rhymer, nonetheless. This led him to write hymns for the church, which would total over 600 in his life. He was referred in the end to be the father of English hymnody. Right? And one of his most famous being, and you may know this song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Watt's most published book was his Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Basically, The church at this time sang the psalms. That's what they did. And I guess Mr. Watts went to his father and said, hey, basically, uh, we're not really doing a good job here. These songs are kind of rough. And we love the psalms, but the way in which we sing them and the way in which they're worded, at least in that time, was rough. And so he set out to do poetic paraphrases of these psalms. So he was adapting the Psalms for the use uh, by the church and basically makes David speak in the language of the Christian. Also reading again the Psalms with Jesus' glasses on. We talked about that before. He was looking at the truths of the Psalms from a Christian uh, perspective. And so uh, he did that. He wrote uh, Psalm 72 into the hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. Or Psalm 90, you may know this one, our God, our help in ages past. You may have been familiar with that. And of course, we come to Psalm 98, which is, of course, joy to the world. And so, I put this together for you over the weekend. No, that's what he wrote, I'm just kidding. Uh, Psalm 98. We focus our attention... Today on Psalm 98, a little bit different from last week where we went all over the place. Today we're just going to look at one text, okay, and maybe make mention of a few others. But basically, uh, Isaac Watts took a look at Psalm 98 and he paraphrased it through the lens of Christ and wrote the song Joy to the World. And even the title itself, Joy to the World, I think invites intrigue, especially given In many ways, the joyless state of our world. Have you seen the news? Given the joyless state of our world, I think the title of the song invites intrigue. I want to know more about that. He says joy to the world. What is joy? What's it all about? But really, why could Dr. Watts write a song in a joyless world called joy to the world? Let's look at Psalm 98 together. We're going to read that. We'll make mention as well to some of the uh, words in the stanzas. Listen to what Psalm 98 says. Verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. If there was one command in this text, what would it be? You look at all the words and phrases. What would be the one thing that we are called to do according to Psalm 98? Make a joyful noise. What else? you could put it in your own words i trust we'll basically be saying the same thing praise god absolutely what else what's that rejoice sure right no matter which phrase you choose to quote no matter which way Uh, You come at it and try to package it all up and try to figure out what exactly the people of God are called to do in this text. What really the world, all of creation, all of the people are commanded to do. It's summed up simply in this. To receive the Lord with joyful song. That's it. To sing to the Lord in joyful singing. That's it. Verse 1, O sing to the Lord a new song. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Verse 5, sing praises to the Lord with a lyre. Verse 6, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. We are called, according to this text, to receive the Lord with joyful song. That's exactly what Mr. Watts sees. Because the song, Joy to the World, that points to the text, says the same thing. It says, joy to the world. A a declaration for sure. But also an implicit command. Joy to the world. Let the earth receive her King. Right, Receive the Lord, Jesus, with joyful singing. Let every heart prepare Him room. The the song says that you may know. Heaven and nature sing. Repeating that over and over, right? There's this idea that, that, that we are to receive the Lord with joyful song. That's the command. Stanza two, joy to the world. Again, a declaration and implicitly a command. What we're called to do. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, what? Repeat the sounding joy. We are to receive the Lord Jesus with joyful singing. Command is very clear, both in the text, repeated time and time again, and in the song that points us to the text, time and time again. That is what we are called to do. The coming of Jesus into the world calls upon the world to receive Him with joyful singing. There is no ambiguity. Do I need to say it again to ensure that? There's no ambiguity about what the text and what the song that points us to the text is calling all of creation, that includes you, that includes me, to do. Receive, The Lord Jesus with joyful singing. So there's no ambiguity. And yet, at the same time, for many of us, there still is a hesitancy to do it. And sadly enough, for many people in the world, and maybe even if we're honest with ourselves. When we hear that command, we approach God our Father, we approach the divine revelation in the Bible, God's very Word, and we don't just hesitate. We actually outright refuse to. Often we approach the Scriptures and our Father whose Word is revealed And we approach it almost like a rebellious child who hears the voice of the father given a clear command repeated, please do this. I'm gonna say it again do this. Clean your room. Clean your room. Clean your room. Dads, clean your room. And like many children, we approach our God who is very clear about His expectations and we, at the very least, ask the question, why? Right? Why? There's got to be a good reason for me to obey you. Give me a good reason why. And if the reasons aren't good enough, the child concludes what? No. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we can find more reasons why we should not sing in reception of Jesus joyfully than reasons why we should. Some of us can claim ignorance. We just don't know Jesus. Why? Don't you think you need to know Jesus in order to sing at His coming? Which this song is celebrating. Ignorance. We we just don't know Jesus. We don't really know God. We've never heard of His love. We've never experienced or received His grace. The Gospel is really a foreign reality. So when we look into the world and we wonder, why don't people sing with joy at the coming of Jesus during the Christmas season? Guess what? We come face to face with the reality that they don't sing about Jesus with joy because what? They don't know Jesus. They don't know Him. They've never heard of the Gospel. If they knew Jesus, maybe they would have a better chance of worshiping Him and singing about Him. But for some of us, we do know Him. And yet some of us still have the excuse, the reasoning, why we do not obey this command. And it's rooted in our temporal circumstances, isn't it? We know Jesus, but life has left you on hard times. Maybe we've suffered grief at the loss of someone or something that we love, that we cherish, that we treasure. We're hurt people. We feel alone. Maybe our job or our marriage isn't as satisfying or fulfilling as we thought it might have been. We can't get past the temporal circumstances of our lives, and in some cases we find ourselves not wanting to worship God for His coming in Jesus Christ in song because we are just simply flat out angry with the living God given our temporal circumstances. You can't worship. Jesus, because we're so consumed with our temporal circumstances. But for some of you, life is actually really good. (laughs) So that's not the case. It's actually really good, right? All is well. Your job is great. Your wife is hot, right? Amen? Okay, pastors aren't supposed to say that, I'm sorry. Kids got D1 scholarships up in here. Or at least you think they're going to have them. Right? How about this? Your car's new. Your house is really big. Your TV is indeed HD. And it's actually quite thin. All your goals in life are being fulfilled. Your five-year plan, you're in year three, and you've already exceeded the five-year plan. Your life is golden. You're driving a nice car. You've got a hot wife. Your TV's really thin. Your clothes are designer apparel, and you hooked it up at Marshall's so you didn't pay full price for them. Right? Life is really good. And so you hear the command to worship a God who you know, but really becomes irrelevant. Because consumerism, the promises, the temporal satisfactions of this world have dulled your senses. And you're living in temporal joy and satisfaction. And so the command to worship a God that you don't even really need doesn't really make sense at all. These are reasons we just won't obey. But yet the command is clear. And The obedience, based on our own set of reasonings, is not so clear. And yet the Lord in His grace continues to reveal, right? That's what we're seeing the rest of the the text and also the song highlighting for us. That we don't just receive a command as such, although the command itself should be enough motivation, especially given the one who's given it. The Lord has spoken, sing. That alone should be enough motive for us to worship him and yet it is not and yet the lord continues to be gracious to reveal the reasons why to a people who desperately seem to need them why sing to the lord a new song why make a joyful noise why receive jesus in joyful singing he tells us and i love that about god he doesn't leave us in our sinful state He's going to reveal Himself in such a way, by His Spirit, through His Word, to quicken within us worship. And I love that about God. Although the command itself should be enough. Look at what the text says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, verse 1, for He has done marvelous things. There it is. Bam! He has done marvelous things. You say, kind of need more detail. Well, you're going to get it. He has done marvelous things. The text tells us that we can receive the Lord Jesus with joyful singing. Why? Because He has come to reveal and to give His salvation. That's what Christmas is all about. He has come to reveal and to give His salvation to The world. Look at what it says. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation for Him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We can sing to the Lord. We can receive Him with joyful singing. Why? Because He has come to reveal and to give His salvation. That's what Christmas is all about. It's a revelation of His salvation, right? The Lord has made known His salvation. We didn't even know it. It was unclear. It was a mystery. It was veiled. And now the the curtain is drawn and we can see it with our own eyes. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God's revealed it, and He is giving it to His people. Salvation, or Christmas, is all about God giving His Son into the world the way by which He gives His salvation to the world. We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? God did not send His Son into the world to what? condemn the world but what to save the world through him that's what causes us that's the, the what wells up inside of us an inward joy that is expressed in song the coming of God in Jesus Christ to give salvation Titus 3 write that one down it's a favorite verse of mine but when the goodness And the loving kindness of our God, what? Appeared. He showed up. God incarnate. Emmanuel. God with us. He showed up. The text says three simple words. He saved us. Just circle those words. If you're ever confused about life, you only need three words to bring you back. He saved us. All comes back into order with those three words, doesn't it? He saved us. And of course we want to define the He. Jesus. Jesus saved us. Not because of our works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. His steadfast love. His faithfulness that He has remembers The wonders of His love that Joy to the World talks about. The wonders of His love. That's what God has done. In Jesus Christ. And again that only really wells up joy inside of you. When you hear that. If you are someone who humbly recognizes your need for salvation. You're only going to sing joyfully about salvation. If you think it's actually relevant to you. If you need it. It only causes joy for us. If we come to realize and know that our sin, our rebellion and our disobedience to God, our sin has caused us to drift so far away from the seashore known as life. It's taken us so far off the dock that it is literally causing us to drift so far away that unless God intervenes, unless God shows up, unless God acts and does something to save us, what? We will drown in eternal despair. There's no self-made raft. There's no ship out there coming to save us. It is only the powerful right hand of God who reaches down from heaven and grabs the drifting and drowning soul and says, you're mine. Be saved. So if you don't think you need salvation, if you don't see your sin causing you to drift and eventually condemning you to drown in eternal despair, then you have absolutely no reason to sing. But if you're like me, who recognizes, at least is reminded by the text today, and recognizes that we need salvation so desperately to come, when you see it in the person of Jesus Christ, you're inspired To sing for joy. It's good reason to receive the Lord with singing. Not only that, there's good reason to sing to the Lord because He's come to establish His kingdom. There's this idea as well, this this nuance in the passage that talks about the victory of God. His right arm, His, his strong hand, has worked salvation, has his made Him victorious over His enemies for His people. Right, the, the, the making a joyful noise, the singing praises, verse 5, the trumpets and, and, the, and the sound of the horn is almost like you get the picture of, of when the king returns from battle and enters through the city gate. What do the people of the city do when the king returns from battle victorious? What do the people do? They hail him and they celebrate the victory of their king. And so as the king returns victorious, he reassures the people of his good and righteous reign over them. That he's one that can be trusted and submitted to and that He has been victorious over all of their enemies. And so we see that really in this text. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. God in Christ is not just our Savior, He is also our King. We see joy to the world, especially in stanzas 3 and 4. The envisioning of a kingdom, right? No more let sins and and sorrows grow, right? Nor thorns infest the ground. The days when a day when all of those things are rid, they're gone, they're no longer present in human experience. All of that pointing back to the garden where God what judged and said, Listen. This is now going to be part of, because of your sin, this will be part of the human experience. And it will be awful. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. A day in which our labor will no longer be filled with frustration and a lack of fruit. How many out there who work hard every day, who at 5.30 scratch their heads and say, I'm pretty sure I did absolutely nothing today or I did nothing to accomplish any uh, practical goals. Now, if you mow lawns, you could say, man, I got that done. But if you're in my world, you know, it takes time to see uh, played out in the lives of people. And I know some of you may have that similar experience. Imagine a day where you no longer feel the frustration uh, of a fruitless activity, that when you serve and work for the living God, that it is a blessed thing, right? Lord, bless the work of our hands. Oh, how we long for this kingdom. But again, if if you want to call your own shots, if you think the kingdom of this world is sufficient, the revelation of a kingdom coming in Christ is not something that's going to cause you to sing. You have to be someone who recognizes the goodness of God and who now is humbly submitting yourself to His reign. And truly, this is good news for a people who have been, for generation upon generation, oppressed. It is not the hope of the affluent. That's why we struggle with It's the hope of the oppressed. God's people throughout the ages has been a people that have suffered, who've been oppressed, who've been under the thumb of wickedness in the world. And so for the king to show up with the sword on his horse and defeat his enemies, guess what? That's good news for the people of God. And we need not place our hope in these temporal kingdoms that provide for us temporal satisfactions. We must see them for what they are and recognize that soon the king will come again. And all will stand before Him. Amen? We have good reason to receive the Lord Jesus with joyful song because of His kingdom that is coming. And last, we see that we can receive the Lord Jesus with joyful singing because He's coming to execute His judgment. Verse 7 and 8. Basically, all of creation is called to worship. Don't miss that. It is not just God's people that worship Him, right? It's all that He's made. You think of Romans 8, which talks about the creation that, that eagerly waits, that yearns, that longs for the revelation of the children of God. And that it's not just we as His people that yearn and crave For God to make all things new. But really the creation was what? Subject to futility. And so creation joins in us. Joins with us. As we sing, they sing. And they anticipate the coming of a kingdom. And the coming of a judge. The Lord Himself. That will execute His judgment. Based on His righteousness and truth. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Christmas is celebrating and at the very same time anticipating that day in which Jesus will indeed return and judge. It is so tethered to our hope in His return. You know, I think I might have mentioned this before and I'm sure you've heard it countless times, that justice is the crave of culture today, is it not? We live in a day and age where people are longing for justice. They see what's taking place in the Middle East, in some parts of Africa. We see what's going on what, with uh, um, Ferguson, right? Ferguson. And we go, man, we need justice. First of all, that's a good thing. That's a good statement. We, guess what? We do need justice. We just have to understand what we're craving, what we're inviting. We need to know what it is based on and who it comes from. Because we often can make up our own understanding of what justice and righteousness is. Can't we? We can put it on bumper stickers all we want. We can come up with, with social justice initiatives in higher education all day long. But we have to see that justice is dependent upon righteousness. Those words are tied together. You can't have justice if you don't have righteousness. And if you don't have truth. Objective, revealed truth. And so we find Our our, our satisfaction, We, we see the source of justice in one place, Jesus. Jesus is the one who will judge with righteousness. He's the one who is the truth. Therefore, when he looks at the world and all the evil that is in it, including the very evil that lies within our hearts, he can judge with equity and righteousness. Judgment is not reserved for us in our own little concoction of this, that, and the other thing, and our own understanding. Justice is found in a person. And the good news, it is as his kingdom comes, justice will come with it. And that God will indeed judge Satan, sin and death. He will judge all that is wicked in the world, and be of good courage, for the sin that still shackles you and kind of follows you around guess what God will annihilate it Christian rest in that hope that the coming of Jesus into the world talking about salvation guess how he saves he saves through judgment how did he do it through the cross of Jesus that the righteousness there's that word again the righteousness of God in Christ is revealed and through faith as we trust in him is literally imputed to us who believe in His name. So that when the Father looks at us, He no longer sees our sin. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ. He is indeed the what? Just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Justice is coming and has come in the person of Jesus. Culture should see it, right? If only they saw it. And so we see we have good reason to receive the Lord. We have good reason to hear the the repeated phrases that Mr. Watts puts in his song about let men their songs employ. Let heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. The Lord has come. Good reason to receive the Lord Jesus with joyful singing. He is our Savior, He is our King, and He is our Judge. His coming into the world means the giving of His salvation, the establishing of His kingdom. His coming means the execution of His judgment. This is good news for us as the people of God. But I couldn't help be left with one last question. We see what we're called to do. We see why we're called to do it. But I can't help but ask the question why singing? I mean, why does it have to be verbally expressed? Again, the command itself is enough. But why singing? Why does the inward joy God wants to be expressed through words and melody? Why? Isn't it sufficient? for us to just hear this and go, yeah, and rest in it and to be silent about it? Isn't that enough? What's going on here? Why can't we just have joy and just be silent? As I was thinking about that, I was thinking to myself, well, what is singing? Right? It's Again, it's, Not the song itself that guarantees the joy. Just because we sing doesn't mean we have joy, does it? We've been religious people long enough to know that you can just go to church and sing and in your mind really be thinking, man, I am killing everybody in fantasy football. Right? What a great day. So, what is singing? Well, singing is the fruit of a root that's in our heart. It's not the root itself. We don't take comfort in the singing. There's something inside of us. There's there's an inward joy that must be expressed. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. And yes, I did hear about it through reading Mr. John Piper. So I will quote them both. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? Don't we talk that way today? We should, but we don't we say that was hot anyway the psalmists in telling everyone to praise god are doing that what all men do when they speak of what they care about i think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but it completes the enjoyment it's it is its appointed consummation it's not out of it is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are, the delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Piper goes on to say, praise is not just the expression, but the consummation of our joy in what it is supre- in what is supremely enjoyable, namely God. In demanding our praise, He's demanding the completion of our pleasure. What an amazing thing! Sure, this is two men and their take on it. But I think there is a hidden grace in this holy command that I can encourage you to not miss out on. We sing, we speak, because it's not uh, because when we express it, it completes the inward joy that's in our heart. We have good reason to receive the Lord, with singing. I've done my best to lay that out for you tonight. So may you receive Jesus today with joyful singing. And may the Spirit of God help you to overcome the reasons you just simply don't want to. And may the joyful obedience to this command heighten your joy all the more. So as we sing and as we praise, may our joy be expressed, but also complete. And yet we recognize that even in this moment as we sing, there will be a greater completion one day, won't there? When we live in the direct presence of the Savior and the King and the Judge, and all the thorns and the thistles and the, and the frustrations and the sins and the sorrows are all gone. The tears been wiped. And at that moment, as we sing with myriads of angels, we will truly see one day the completion of our joy, which, by the way, will continue to be completed throughout all eternity, never getting bored of such an experience. So let's pray and then let's sing together, shall we? Our Lord, we confess that often we find reasons to not worship You. We're grateful for Your Word that calls us back. We're grateful for our brother uh, Isaac Watts that long ago wrote the fact and declared that joy has come into the world, that the Lord has come, that the Savior reigns, that all of creation is singing. We're grateful for Him. May we be a people that do not hesitate nor refuse, but willingly receive Jesus as our Savior, King, and Judge with joyful singing. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.